Hello, everyone. Over the next four weeks, we will be dropping a special episode of the Job Hunting Podcast from our 2022 collection into your feed. We're doing this because we believe these episodes are great for this time of the year. Sometimes, even as we are recording and editing them, we earmark them for the festive season. Secondly, we believe in repetition. I have often listened to podcast episodes two or three times to let the message sink in. If you have already listened to these episodes before, my advice is to listen again and you will uncover a few more gems and great advice from them. And finally, we do this because we as a team need to take a break, but we don't want to leave you hanging. You see, festive seasons can be triggering to job hunters. It can make you feel more stressed and lonely in your job search. I remember this very well because I've been there and I don't want you to feel like I did. So for me, keeping the podcast and my newsletter going out weekly is incredibly important and is part of the support system that I provide for you. Many people ask me, should I keep looking for work during the holidays or should I just give up and start again, let's say at the end of January? My answer is always, it depends. If you are looking for work now, my message to you is keep looking. There will be less competition, even though fewer roles are usually advertised around this time. I do think it's still a good thing to keep looking and keep the momentum going and build yourself a job hunting discipline, even if you're doing just one small task per day. To learn how to best organize your schedule to fit job hunting in your daily and weekly routine, you can download my free resource. It's called the Optimized Job Search. You can find it on my website, renatabernardi.com. That's R-E-N-A-T-A-B-E-R-N-A-R-D-E.com. There's also a link to it in this episode show notes. Remember, I am with you. You should carry on. And the newsletters and podcasts are here to provide you with accountability, knowledge, and support. Now, let's listen to this episode. Hi, I'm Renata Bernardi, and this is the Job Hunting Podcast, where I interview experts and professionals and discuss issues that are important for job hunters and those who are working to advance their careers. So make sure that you subscribe and follow, and let's dive right in. There is nothing like learning from the expert. And our guest today, Ginny Clark, has extensive experience recruiting senior leaders for some of the most sought-after employers in the U.S. Given we had her for a whole hour for this episode, I collated a range of questions from listeners, from you, and also from clients. And I asked Ginny those questions. So listen to this episode if you want to learn how to answer the infamous question about the salary, if you've wondered if you could apply multiple times for the same organization, if you need to explain a career gap, if you're worried about your references, and much more. Ginny was most recently Director Executive Recruiting at Google from 2016 until end of 2020. In this role, she led the diversity, non-tech recruiting, and leadership internal mobility teams. Before Google, Ginny was a partner at Spencer Stewart, one of the most highly sought-after global executive search firms. 
where she co-founded and led the firm's global diversity practice. Currently, Ginny now has her own talent and leadership consulting business. She is also an active keynote speaker, host, and has a podcast called The Fifth Dimensional Leadership, and you should go and listen to it. She's also the author of Career Mapping, Charting Your Course in the New World of Work. I hope you enjoyed this conversation I had with Ginny. I really, really enjoyed chatting with her. This podcast is such a wonderful opportunity for me to catch up with recruiters and experts all over the world. And it's my pleasure to share those conversations with you. Have a great time listening to the seven job search questions answered by an executive recruiter, Ginny Clark. So you, you're in Chicago. Yeah. And you've lived everywhere. Did you, or are you working from Chicago at Google? No, I lived in California when I was at Google, but I was born and raised in Southern California. And so when I went to Google, my son had been in college out there for a couple of years since so I was closer to him. I was still 500 miles away, but closer. I was in the same state. So that made it nice. It's a very long state. So very long state. People think, somebody said to me, I'm going to be in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. Is that close to you? I'm like 500 miles away. No, I mean, look at a map. Come on. <laughs> oh. I know. I remember I've done the highway one trip a few times. So pretty. It's so pretty, isn't it? And one of these times was for my honeymoon. So we started in San Diego and my husband forgot his glasses in San Diego and we have reached Santa Barbara and he's like, I need to go back. And I'm like, please don't. And we did. We did. <laughs> That, what was that, four or five hours? <laughs> I don't know. That's a long 26, way. 26, 20, oh my gosh, 30 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I was very annoyed with him. Yeah, yeah, I would have yeah. been too. But anyway, and now you're in Chicago. What took you to Chicago? Well, I was originally here for graduate school in the 80s. Wow. And that's why I moved here to go to Kellogg. Yet. That's yeah. right. And then I had my, most of my career here until Google called and I kind of went, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't, most people were like, oh, Google. And I was kind of like, yeah. I mean, I was in my fifties at that point. It's like, you know, but I figured if I could help them with diversity in particular, that was part of the expertise yeah. that they wanted me to help with. It has been a big hallmark of your career to help organizations implement. I mean, I read your bio and it shows that you co-founded the diversity at Spencer uh, Stewart. Brilliant. That's mm -hmm. fantastic. And that was early days of diversity. It was. Yeah. But were we already using the word diversity? Yeah. So Sometimes we get used to words and it's only been a minute. <laughs> uh, well, and that to me, and we can get into this if you want, but I now it feels almost, dare I say, comical that, you know, we still haven't solved it and yet we just keep adding all these words. It's, mm. you know, it's inclusion, it's belonging, it's justice, it's this. It should be all of that, yes. But, you know, adding more words to the acronym isn't making it any better. Mm. So, so tell us, you know, let's tell the listeners a little bit more about your career. Sure. What happened at Northwestern that made you decide to, you know, go into HR? Was it at that stage? Was oh, it no, I, I never. And I still in many ways don't consider myself to be in HR, which is kind of oh. interesting. Okay. <laughs> I'll, I'll go back just the, because I think it's interesting to I often want to share this part about my interests early on because I've had a very nonlinear career. So I mm -hmm. went to University of California Davis undergrad 
because I wanted to be a veterinarian. And I had gone to University of California, Riverside in my hometown mm -hmm. so that I could get in and study animal science and become a veterinarian. Well, after two quarters, I just hated it. Changed majors to French and linguistics, double oh, wow. major. A big change. Big change, but I'd studied French all through high school. I had a great French teacher and I loved language. I knew I didn't want to be a language teacher, be an interpreter, anything. I knew that, but I loved the fact that it was a system. And that's, I learned many years later that I'm a systems thinker. So I worked for a couple of years as a recruiter for the University mm -hmm. of California and then decided to go to business school and chose Northwestern. I only picked three schools and, and got into Northwestern and it was just the best thing ever. I just- And you did your, what was it an MBA? MBA, yeah, MBA. yeah. And it was great. Oh, well, I, I mean- I love Northwestern. They still have blackboards. Can you believe it? Like you go there now. <laughs> I love it. I haven't seen any and I was up recently. I'm still very active there. And in fact, I just interviewed the Dean, the current Dean, a woman. Um, wow. who is, is going to be a guest on my podcast that launches tomorrow, shameless plug, but uh, I've just always had to finish for that school. And I worked as a recruiter for them, uh, part-time as a student and got my MBA and I wanted to, you know, my focus was accounting and finance. That's where I thought I was going to head. And I realized that the similarity, the linkage was that systems thinking accounting is the language of business, right? Oh, yeah. And I had studied language. So that's kind of how I thought about it. And I went into banking. They were recruiting because I didn't want to be an accountant that much I knew. But I started it in banking at First National Bank of Chicago, which became Chase. And then I moved into commercial real estate for several years with what's now called Jones Lang LaSalle. It used to be LaSalle Partners. And then I moved on to Prudential Real Estate Investors. And then I decided my father passed away. And it was that seminal moment when I thought, I don't love this anymore. What have I always loved? And it was recruiting. And so I networked my way into one of the world's largest executive search firms and was there for 12 right. years. Yeah. Well, that's fantastic. And now after that, you know, you decided recruiting was a passion. Mm -hmm. You stayed there. You moved to, I think, LHH and then, and then right. in-house with Google. What happened in 2020 that made you decide, okay. Well, before we go, go there. Now. There was another little gap there where I left Spencer Stewart after I'd made partner and it, it continued on for several years to write a book. So I wrote oh, a yeah. book called Career Mapping during that time in 2011 and did consulting and speaking and all of that on career management because of what I had learned. And I tried to put together this framework because I'd seen so many people inside of a search firm who came to me and said, you're going to help me find my next job. And I thought, Probably not. Well, you, because you understand how that works, right? Search yeah. firms are not working for the person. They're working for yeah. the company that's hiring. And so the likelihood that I would have that perfect job for that person I was speaking to was very, very low. And I, I thought about it and I was like, that's not a good strategy for the individual. You should be more deliberate about what you want yeah. because I always believe that you can create what you want. Yeah. You shouldn't just wait for the phone to ring. Right. Yes, that was the other that. thing before I went back into search because I'm single mom wanted to get on a regular cadence of, <laughs> of revenue. And so, yeah, that was when Google called, I had met someone who had gone to Google after the firm that we worked for sold mm -hmm. and a guy named Stuart Kaplan. And he said, we need help specifically with diversity at the executive recruiting level. 
And I kind of went, do I want to do that? I don't know. But if, but if I can crack the code, then it would help change, you know, Google sets the tone for the entire industry. Right. Mm -hmm. So if I could help do that, that was the objective in going there. And I was there for about four and a half years in 2020. When I left, it just got, I was tired. So many things had happened. I had three different teams while I was there. I started out with diversity and then I added internal mobility. And then I, this was simultaneously. So I had three concurrent teams, 30 people. Then I had the team of recruiters as well. And there was always sort of a reorg and a change. And, and I finally said, you know, I don't think I can be effective under these conditions. And so I decided just to say, good luck. Love y'all. <laughs> I gotta go. <laughs> when you left, your career and mine has so many similarities. We mm-hmm. could go on and have a whole episode just about that. Uh-huh. When you left, did you know that you wanted to work for yourself again? I did. Yes. Okay. I did. And I had been working with a speaking coach. Interestingly, it was funny because during my time at Google, word got out that I had written this book on career management, not to mention the fact that I had created an internal mobility program for the senior leaders at still sitting inside of the executive recruiting function. And the whole idea of that was to the extent that we can help retain some of the top talent not determined by me, but by, you know, the hiring managers, Yes. then we could, you know, that's what everybody wants to do. You want to, that's what you retain top talent. And so the program was really focused on how do we help some of these leaders because there aren't going to be other senior level jobs that are going to meet their professional needs necessarily, which is why they might've been looking outside. Mm -hmm. Can we help create new opportunities within Google for some of these senior folks. And so my team and I worked with them, kind of coached them on what are your competencies? And that's a word that you hear me say a lot because that to me is the essence of what people need to understand about what they're bringing. It's not just what you've done, it's how you've done it. And how can you port some of these competencies? They are skills and capabilities and indicative demonstrated behaviors surrounding potential, yes. Yes. But how can you as an individual say, well, I've done all these things. I've deconstructed these activities and capabilities from different jobs. And now I'd like to rebundle them, repackage them into something else. And I think there's so much power for an individual to be able to do that. So that's what I did. Anyway, back to, you know, just back to me, yeah. the word got out that, that I had this book and that I was really good at internal mobility and thinking, talking about careers. And so I ended up speaking to a lot of employee resource groups, ERGs within Google for women and people of color and, and for different functional groups that might have a summit. And so I thought, wow, you know, I probably spoke to about four or 5,000 Googlers during my time. Wow. And, and I thought well, I, this, I would love to be able to do this and take it to the next level as a professional speaker. And so that's mostly how I'm spending my time these days. I work through a speakers bureau and I've been booked quite a number of times in the last oh, year. Awesome. Yeah. Have you been doing live events or has it live. been? Live, yeah, I did. Initially oh, it was yeah. virtual, but now I'm doing live. I travel, you know, two or three or four times a month to different destinations and it's a lot of, oh, what would I call them? Trade associations and other professional associations. It's okay. just been a lot of fun, but I've expanded my repertoire to talk mostly about leadership, which is what oh, wow. I observed while at Google and during all those years as an executive recruiter. Yeah, yeah. No, that's fantastic. In fact, I wanted to use your time on this podcast to 
answer some of the questions that I get, you know? Yeah, of course. That in-house experience that you have, and mm-hmm. together with the external executive search that you've done, I think gives the listeners such great insight on sure. what they need to do. A couple of reflections on what you've said so far. You wrote a book quite a while ago, and still, you know, this misunderstanding of the different roles between, you know, somebody that can coach or mentor you or somebody that can, you know, that you go to when there's a, a job opportunity, when they have a briefing that suits you, mm-hmm. which is the executive search role. People don't really understand no. the difference. In fact, yesterday I did a, a stream yard, but I did it live on LinkedIn, YouTube. And I saw that. You saw that? Yes. With two executive search partners trying to workshop, you know, how can we educate their candidates, my listeners, on being better prepared when they reach out to recruiters. Yes. And even though you like to position that difference between exec search and, you know, normal recruitment, to me, it doesn't really matter. I think that career readiness, you need to learn from the get-go. Oh, for sure. Even though there is a level of sophistication when you become more senior, mm-hmm. there is still an etiquette about it that it's better, you know, as soon as possible. It's really interesting. I am specializing in more mature clients. So my clientele is, I, I kid you not, I have a client in his 70s. I love it. I clients in their 60s and 50s and 40s. And I have one client in her 30s, just one. So that shows, you know, that there is this really interesting second half of the career, tail end kind of focus of my work. But I've just finished teaching at university. 160 students and doing masters of public policy, international relations, international development. So a whole bunch of master students, a bit older, you know, in their late 20s, early 30s, some are older than that. But it's interesting that their questions and the things that I teach and the roadmap that I created as a coach, I mean, you, you developed a framework, each coach, you know, loves yep. their own framework. I can apply it to, you know, a wide range of, of clients and students. Mm-hmm. That's really, I think, important. Would you imagine somebody going into sports or acting without knowing what their competencies were? Like, you you know, yes, I have a strong backhand or no, I don't have a strong backhand. Right. That's not my forte. Let's avoid that on the field. Exactly. You know, like, you have to know. And, and I think that education is still missing, even mm-hmm. from amazing universities like Northwestern. I remember I visited the NBA team there back in 2008, and they had an amazing career coach there. Mm-hmm. For what name, she's now not at what Northwestern, so if anybody's looking for a career coach in Chicago, you can try to find her. I will remember her name and add to the episode show notes. And she taught me so much. Mm-hmm. And I think that if you are smart while you're doing your professional development and you reach out to the teams in universities and business schools, mm-hmm. they can help so much, but not a lot of people reach out to them. Not until they need a job. And no. and at that point, you're not really paying attention yeah. to some of the underlying reasons yeah. that might have. Could have said that the name of my podcast, it's called the Job Hunting Podcast. Mm-hmm. And somebody wrote to me and said, I know it's called the Job Hunting Podcast, but I wish I was listening to this before I lost my job. Not now. <laughs> You know, that's amazing that it's 2022 and 
now it seems that there is an awakening of personal values and alignment, ambitions. Am I, is this really my ambition to work at Tesla? Mm -hmm. If I have to work there, you know, in loco at the office, I don't want anymore. I've changed my ambition to the point. I don't care what my CEO says. I want to stay home. I think people are really starting to reassess their values. Indeed. I think that's a good thing. Mm -hmm. Isn't it? Yeah. All right. So now let's work on answering some questions from my audience. Yeah. I literally went back and found them, you know, in notes and things like that. And the salary conversation is one that comes up time and time again. Mm -hmm. Now, because of the ATS systems, it's sometimes unavoidable if you hop online, even as a, a more senior candidate. Is it true that organizations like Google would still recruit senior candidates through an online system or is it still? Could be. Could it be. depends on their, their, the level. If you're senior, if you're talking age or level, <laughs> right? Uh, yeah, at a certain, yeah. and that's why I was saying it at, at a certain level, director level and up, it's, we generally didn't take applicants. We weren't using the applicant tracking system. Wow. It was a separate, it was treated like an executive search firm. So we okay. were going out, these were passive candidates. We went out and had re recruiters who were identifying these folks and considered some internal candidates as well. But uh -huh. yeah, that's why it's real different. All right. But how do you address the salary conversations? The salary piece very often, and it depends on their laws that, and that's, I think they mm -hmm. emerge in certain states as a function of gender pay inequity where you can't ask. Mm -hmm. So if you're not, you know, you need to know the laws for wherever you might be going because you shouldn't have to share it. You want to know that there will be parity between you and someone else, regardless of their sexual orientation, you know, their, their gender, whatever race, all these things, because there are, there's a lot of disparity around compensation. So that's why those laws have been put in place in certain countries. If you're asked, I would just give a range and I would actually, I would actually try to offer, this is where I want to be because this, I know where, this is where I know the market is. Mm -hmm. Right. Because a lot of women have been underpaid, chronically underpaid. And so they're not even at market. Mm. So the answer should be, this is what I know the market is. If they insist and want to see tax returns or something, well, you know, you're stuck. Tell the yeah. truth. Yeah. But also I would follow it quickly with, but this is what I know the market to be. And this is where I would expect you to come in. I agree. And I think as part of your research, if you are a candidate, if you are job hunting, you really need to know what the market's Ask people, yeah. Ask yeah. people, some people feel very awkward about asking yeah. about salaries. Since you mentioned women, women listening to this episode, go to a career that soars. It's a subscription membership for ambitious women. And you can ask anything on that platform. It's run by three amazing women. Mm -hmm. And I think they have hundreds of women now on the platform. And you can use Reddit, Glassdoor. Talk to people, but definitely find out. I think it's important that you know what you should be paid before you go to market. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 It's unavoidable that question these days and knowing is, gives you power. Mm -hmm. Now, how about recently had a client in the US who applied for a job at Google at the director level and 
then that didn't, nothing happened. We analyzed the resume again. It was a perfect position for her, by the way. But we analyzed it again on using JobScan to make sure the ATS was working on her favor. We fixed a few things. There's another role at Google, right? We want to reapply. A lot of times people ask me, what happens when you apply multiple times with the same organization? This is not more as search. It's more like recruitment, but I was hoping you could give insight if there is like, some people think that there's a black mark against their name. They no, of course not. No, no, no. There's, there's not a, there's not a black mark per se yeah. against someone. I mean, if, if you see someone just keeps applying and applying and applying and being rejected, then you got to wonder what's wrong. But if they've been reviewed and someone has reached out and expressed interest and they were considered whether or not they were eventually interviewed, right? That if they got a response that said we're interested and at least a recruiter had a conversation with them to know something about them, that information gets captured. And so they'll, they'll often be considered again because there's some reference points. But no, that, that shouldn't be, you know, shouldn't run away. If somebody is applying, applying, applying and not getting through, there's a tendency to blame the organization and say, oh, I've been black marked. I bet there's something, you know, in the system. Well, but you know what? Like, uh, you know, uh, in that instance, <laughs> move on, move on. Well, Look at another company, find another way. Knowing yeah. someone can help, right? Yeah. If you know someone inside to be able to say this is a role that I'm interested in. Do you know anybody in recruiting who might be able to look at my background? Mm -hmm. Right. To me, that can be advantageous. It's not always going to work in enormous yeah. organizations like a Google, yeah. but for smaller organizations in particular, if you've got someone who can give you some insight and maybe put in a good word for you, that can help. Yeah. And also, you know, instead of that blame game, look at your application, you know, and review it. Well, yeah. But at some point, you know, yeah. that, and this is my gripe with the process, you know, there are mm -hmm. people these algorithms will spit out people who are highly qualified in a different sense, because if you're only looking at experience, and this is why I spent so much time talking about competencies, particularly in the context of trying to increase the number of underrepresented people, right? So there's this whole repeated thing. We know that women have been underpaid, underleveled, chronic. We know that. And I'm talking a lot about women just because there isn't Parity, at least not in the United States, there isn't, right? No, and so we we know that, and yet we'll still look at a woman's we, uh, you know, we, everybody's can be accused of having done it. We'll look at that resume and still go, well, they haven't done this and they haven't done that. And my attitude is, but have you had a conversation with them to understand the depth of what they actually know? Because if they've been under leveled then you're not seeing the full range of capabilities. And that's why competencies are not the same as experience. And, you know, that's why I was trained to enter, know how to interview for competencies and not just check the box and say, they've done this, they have this title. They have, that means nothing. I've worked with plenty of incompetent people who had beautiful resumes and I've brought in people who had not so great looking resumes, but when I met them and often it was based on a referral, they were amazing. Which one do you want? <laughs> yeah, it's really funny. I don't say this to clients, but now that I'm here with you, I'll say this. A lot of people, a lot of men since the beginning of the pandemic has had a lot of a very patchy career. Yeah. They lost their jobs. They got a contract for six months. They, you know, became unemployed for quite a while, got another 
little job. They worry about it so much. And I want to say, well, welcome to my world. <laughs> that yeah. the world of women, you know, we, we go to maternity leave, we come back. And it's that level of anxiety that women often have about their careers not being linear as, you know, compared to men's careers. Now men are starting to experience that more and more. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They have to learn how to talk about the gaps. Yeah. Uh, there's a way to do it. Yes, absolutely. I love that as part of your job at Google was to attract, but also maintain talent in-house and mm-hmm. try to find opportunities for them. That internal candidate applying for roles and going through promotions, give me an insight of what you need to showcase to be considered for internal opportunities. It's not easy because mm-hmm. if you're talking about somebody who's been doing one thing for let's say 10 or 15 years inside the company or maybe outside, you know, maybe they have five years someplace else, five years within the organization. The onus falls on them to be able to explain to a hiring manager who might be in a completely different group or function, Mm -hmm. why this individual has not just functional or domain expertise, but some of the leadership competencies to be able to lead and manage others in this area because a smart hiring manager will say, wow, I'll take a proven leader over a domain expert in certain circumstances, right? If I'm trying to really build something, the team can support the domain expertise. They can help that person learn the business, but strong leadership is something that's completely different. It can be different sets of competencies. And unfortunately, I think most companies don't make that distinction And they promote people based on tenure and based on experience and not based on separate competencies, leadership behaviors versus knowing the business. Those can be two completely different things. As somebody who was trying to retain talent and support them, what sort of internal professional development do you think you can put in place in organizations that helps? Yeah, Google had pretty hardy learning and development organization. I'm forgetting exactly what they called it. And they have something called Google School for Leaders. And I was a director there. So I benefited from some of the leadership programs that were offered. And I think those things are important because people need to realize that they're all, you never stop learning no matter how senior you become. And there's an expectation that, you know, you get around other people who are trying to learn some of these leadership competencies. Because again, it's acknowledging the difference between You know, you might be tenured and an expert, but that doesn't mean you lead effectively. And that's what the promotion is supposed to be about. Moving up the food chain ostensibly means that you're gaining a level of mastery around leading others, right? That's why you move up, you make more money, you have more and more people reporting to you because you're an effective leader. That's the premise. That's not always what happens. Yeah. It's a hard thing to move away from being so good at what you do to being uncomfortable with, you know, the next level up. That's right. Managing, spending so much of your time, not doing those things that you were good at, but letting others do it for you. You have to. That's exactly right. And some people aren't good at that, right? They'll micromanage or, you know, they don't want to spend time. I think it was Jack Welch, the former CEO GE, who said something like, if you're not spending half your time on people issues, you shouldn't call yourself a leader. That's what leadership is about. You're dealing with people. You're not doing the work, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Nor are you necessarily overseeing it. 
that's, mm-hmm. that could be a manager, but as the leader, you're setting strategy, you're setting vision, you're making sure that everybody, and you're communicating effectively, those are leadership competencies. Yeah, no, that's gold. And Jenny, I think I missed an opportunity to expand on what you said before about the career gap, you know, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. explain career gaps. Yeah. You may have had people come to you and have to explain their career gaps. How open do you think employers are now to career gaps? You know, and career gaps these days, I mean, as a coach, I'm seeing people needing time out for mental yes, health. Absolutely. For carers reasons. Yep. Or, you know, in the old days, it would be just maternity leave and a couple of other things. And also because during the pandemic, there were all jobs. You know, if a, a senior exec would normally take six months to a year to find a new role, now it's mm-hmm. taking longer because of the fact that, you know, there was no no jobs advertised in 2020, early 2021. Mm-hmm. Do you think there's a more understanding now or are people still very Oh, bad? for sure. Oh, I, I think there's greater understanding at the same time. I think the individual has to really get comfortable in talking about why there's a leave and not allow themselves to feel a sense of shame and apologize for it, which I think has been the tendency, you know, it's kind of like, well, I, what can I say? And to be honest, there's a fine line that you don't want to cross where you're sharing too much information. But to say, you know, I had a sick parent. If that's true, then say that. Who can't relate to that? Yeah. Just be sure you tell the truth, Mm -hmm. right? It's not like somebody's going to go check up on you, but you just never know who knows who. You don't ever want to lie when it comes to anything about your background. So tell the truth and you can just stop short of something that might be a little little bit too personal. Yeah. Right. And people aren't going to probe if they know it was a family consideration. You know, you don't need to say mental health. You can say health. Mm-hmm, right. Because mm-hmm. there's still some people who have a associated stigma with that. In spite of how much we're learning about mental health, in yeah. spite of I saw a statistic recently that said that 84 percent of and this was in the U.S., I believe, 84 mm-hmm. percent of employees and executives are suffering from fatigue and poor mental health. This was is a, a month ago. There's an amazing number of C-level executives resigning. I don't know seen that in the news here in Australia. We've seen it a lot. And I've, I've read some articles from the UK as well. Yeah. People are yeah. stressed out. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think it's becoming a little bit more in vogue to acknowledge that you succumb to stress. Yeah. And look, you know, this has been happening for a long time. My dad, we lived in the Valley, by the way. My dad worked in Palo Alto. Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah, and then we went back to Brazil, and I think, I don't know exactly when it was. It was before or after our time in the U.S., but he had to fire 400 people. Whoa. And you, you know those restructures in the 80s, those little yes, of course. hardcore stuff? Yeah. And he did that, and then he didn't go back to work, and he couldn't work for an entire year. In fact, the only reason why dad, I think, got out of his you know, mental health issues at the time. We didn't call it that. No, sure. But I decided I didn't want to go to school. <laughs> and then he, he he said that was what made him think, okay, I need to go back to work because I'm sending a bad example here to my mm-hmm. children. Mm-hmm. But, you know, back then it was really, I don't know how, I actually need to ask him, I don't know how he explained it. Right. It's not something that we talk about. No. 
you know, and, you know, people think to think that now we're all fragile and we have PTSDs and this and that. I'm like, no, mate, we've been having this all the time. Indeed. We can talk about it, right? That's right. Yeah. All right. So career gaps, something that I help clients all the time as well. And they're still very uncomfortable about talking. You just got to get comfortable, practice it. You know, I talk in terms of a narrative and telling your whole story in a way you can tell, give the highlights in 10 minutes, right? And that's often what I would do when I would interview candidates. I would have a 90 minute interview with executive candidates and I would say, tell me your story. And they're like, well, what do you mean? I, here's, it's all on the resume. I'm like, actually, no, I read it, but there's a lot that's not on the resume. I want to hear your story. And in that story, that's where you can weave in. And then you're giving it context versus just saying, and then I did this and then I did that. And then I did that. It's like, but why did you do those things? What was your motivation for making that move? Did you choose to leave? Why did you choose to leave? Okay. And no judgment, right? So once, and so when you begin to hear yourself tell the story, now it doesn't sound so horrible and you don't have to kind of mumble and cover your mouth and say, you know, I got laid off. Well, there's no stigma against getting laid off anymore. You know, what would impress me is if someone said I was fired, Mm -hmm. I was fired because I wasn't performing well enough compared to somebody else in the organization. That would impress me. I agree. I have an interview on this podcast with my friend, Sasha Kaufman, and I've been, you, you are a speaker now. He used to come to my events as a speaker since 2008 because of his amazing story of being fired, coming back from the ashes and using that as part of his pitch and the way that he presented himself because of that huge failure, you know, I've learned to do this, to do that. There you go. You know, and I think that that is such a great way of addressing the elephant in the room Mm -hmm. because especially in a small town like Melbourne, I mean, people that live here doesn't think it's small. But it's a much smaller, you know, business community than, let's say, Chicago, right? Sure. So it's better that you address that. Absolutely. You are controlling the narrative. Precisely. Letting other make their assumptions about you. That's yeah. right. Yeah. So that's really good. In terms of storytelling, mm-hmm. I think that you were saying before that you're now a speaker and you're part of a bureau. I will put a link in the show notes about that. There is such a great opportunity for executives to become better storytellers. Mm -hmm. And we've been talking about this for years. Part of my program is, you know, teaching people how to tell stories. We Mm -hmm. go to Roland Barthes and Aristotle's and we look at, you know, how movies are put together. All movies have failures built in, you know, like those things that, get your attention and you are then paying more attention, not because everything is smooth and pretty and no. perfect. No story is fun if it's written like that. That's right. Right? It's yeah. not real. I mean, oh, there's the, it's kind of the, the hero's journey, right? I mean, Joseph exactly. Campbell was known yeah. for writing that. And the hero always goes through ups and downs. And mm-hmm. what did you learn? That's always what I want to hear about. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I love that. I'd love to talk to you about references. Mm -hmm. I do something quite different. I add two references to my resumes at the Mm -hmm. bottom and I say contact details upon request, but I Mm -hmm. add the names. 
the reason why I do this, and I know a lot of people don't, I want to get your views, is because I was new to this country when I first came here and I didn't know anybody. And having two people in Australia that could, or, you know, it could be overseas, but two people that could vouch for me, that mm -hmm. had my back, that could advocate for me when the time was, was right, yeah. was important for the recruiter to know or the hiring manager to know. Yep. And I add those two references to all my resumes and my clients tend to convert. So I think that there's something about that. Mm -hmm. What do you think? I mean, I, obviously I, I'm used to taking references on candidates regularly. Yeah. Being in-house is different from being in an agency yeah. for these executive roles that I'm familiar with. So being in-house legal would not allow us to reach out to anybody whose oh, name was not given to us by the candidate. Oh, okay. So they had to give us their list of references when we got to that point in the process. Mm -hmm. And those yeah. are the only people we could call. Yeah. We often would have hiring managers who said, well, I know so-and-so and let me go ask them. And it's like, no, no. Do you realize that you could be compromising this person? They were usually still employed, right? And I've heard of horror stories where somebody just thought they were asking their buddy and it turns out, well, their, their buddy was the person's boss. Yes. Right. Or, or it used to be or something, you know, it's just so you never, ever want to do that. Yeah. Being in an agency, however, at Spencer Stewart, we were able to do what we called sometimes third party referencing. Yeah. So we would reach out to those people because we had a robust database. You could substitute LinkedIn these days. You can kind yeah. of see who are they connected to and and ask around that way. But again, you know, word gets around that you're asking around. Yeah. about someone. So as a recruiter, you have to maintain your integrity and respect to the confidentiality of mm -hmm. the references that were given. Yeah. But we were able to often, because of the, the robustness of the database, find at least one person who knew this individual because they might've worked in the same organization, you know, for a period of time and they could give us some additional, hopefully unbiased feedback on them in addition to the, the names that the candidate would have given us. But make sure that you're giving names of people who worked with you, not just friends, right? They can really attest with some specificity what it is that you're good at. Make sure that it's not too much time has lapsed. Ten years ago, you're a different person. That's not going to be a great reference. You know, go for people who actually worked with you and know you. Ideally, it's someone who's been a direct report, someone who has might have been a boss, and someone who's a peer. Ginny, what happens when your immediate manager in your most recent job is not somebody you got along with, you know, you left at odds with that manager? Many jobs require the future employer to do the due diligence and talk to the previous manager. Yeah, this is where I think, you know, employment laws are real different too, country by country, because yes. a lot of times you can't, most people in the States... Uh -huh. Most individuals would not talk to a recruiter, mm -hmm. right? So your boss wouldn't, they, they're not even allowed. You have to call into HR and they're not going to put you through to whoever that person was. Mm -hmm. Now, if you know the name of the individual and you can reach them yourself, well, to the extent that the candidate didn't give you his or her name, mm -hmm. that's not totally cool, right? Because yeah. there are two sides of the story. It could yeah. be that that person is a terrible leader and manager and your candidate is great. Yeah. Or it could, you know, there's the truth lies somewhere in between. So yeah. you just, you really got to be careful when you're doing these. But the recruiter needs to be careful. 
the candidate needs to be careful. Yes. In talking about being careful, what do you think about social media activity when you're going into recruitment? I've had some conversations recently, and this was a really interesting case study where it wasn't the client that reached out to me that was looking for work. It was his partner, Mm. but they were in conflict because his partner was in a very traditional work environment Mm -hmm. and and this client of mine, social media was not very conservative. (laughs) And, you know, and his partner was saying, this is not going to help my career. I'm very ambitious for my career. In the end, you know, this was a couple of years ago. They're not together anymore. And I wonder, you know, if social media and that discrepancy between one wanting to become, to be private and keep things private and the other one wanting to have a very public lifestyle. Yeah. Well, you know, social media, you're putting yourself on front street. So, you know, I would tell my son and everybody else, it's like, what do you want people to see? Whether or not you're connected, other people can see into your behaviors. And so if you're hanging out on a beach all the time, you know, I, I have a friend who, God love her. I mean, she's on social media constantly and she has a pretty good, you know, relatively senior level job. But one time I said to her, I always see you just out to dinner with your girls on the weekends and on vacation. And, and when do you work? <laughs> you know, when do you, I mean, it's, it's like at some point you're not sending at least show yourself at a, at an event, you know, I'm not big on social media, but I showed myself at a speaking thing with some of the other attendees, you know, me eating dinner night after night, that's not interesting or hanging out with my friends. So if anything, I'm trying to demonstrate that I'm, a well-rounded person with varied interests, but I don't always need to have a drink in my hand. I mean, it's a little bit of common sense. And this, this isn't even about conservatism. Forget about now that's a whole nother conversation. You know, when you're putting your, your views out there, you're really asking for it, whatever, whichever way you want to go, just be careful because not everybody's going to agree with you. And some organizations don't want to be caught in the middle of having, you know, particularly a very senior level person having strong political views. So be careful. (laughs) My best advice, tone it down just to be safe. I think I'd like to, you know, to reflect on this because I think it's important for people to, again, with a coach or doing some self-reflection, understand that they have a reputation. Whether or not you are. Whether or not you like it. That's it. You will have a reputation. Yes. And do you know what it is? Becomes the question. Yes. One of the hardest works that I do as a coach is increase equity in that reputation. If you burnt bridges, if you haven't really taken care of it and nurtured it, and people don't know what to think about you, or they, you know, I had a a conversation with a client yesterday and she's like, I just realized people think of me as Y and I'm not Y, I'm X. You know, I need to change their perception. How do I do it? I'm like, well, let's work on it. It doesn't happen overnight. No. Because you need that ongoing PR. You know, that's why organizations have PR, public relations. You need the ongoing, consistent messaging over time. And if you are ongoing, consistent messaging that you're out and about having drinks all night, Mm -hmm. I mean, even if you aren't, if that's what you're posting, that's what people are seeing. That's right then you are sending that message. So think about the branding and how it will stick, you know, what equity you you will have in your mm-hmm. remedy as a senior executive 
or professional, whatever level you are. Exactly. And it needs to be consistent. So when I work with clients, it's like everything needs to be consistent. It's not perfect. It's just consistent messaging. Yeah. The message on LinkedIn, the message on your resume, what comes out of your mouth when when you're on a phone screen or at an interview. What is your story? What's your narrative? How do you talk about yourself? Yes. So mm -hmm. consistent. And social media is part of that. Absolutely. Isn't it amazing what LinkedIn has done to recruitment and selection? Yeah. I mean, I was around at Spencer Stewart before it existed. So it was a very new thing, but I think it's a really fabulous tool that it's uh -huh. opened up a whole market for employers and for would-be employees too, for candidates. What do you think about LinkedIn as a tool to overcome some issues like with diversity and inclusion? Do you think that that's possible as well? Yeah, I think it has. Yeah. Yeah. And, and frankly, you know, I'm an African-American woman. I, and I'm very fair skinned. People don't always know that, but there are things that I have in my, in my bio that would suggest, and I very often speak it right when I'm talking. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, there are pictures on LinkedIn and sometimes you can see that someone has dark skin or that they're associated with a particular organization, you know, may, might not be their employer, but a professional <laughs> organization or a sports organization or something. And so you can infer that they are a person who has, as we say here, from an underrepresented background. And in terms of candidates that you've dealt with that had potential to be at a more senior level and were mm -hmm. competing with other candidates that already had the experience at that more senior level, how can you best present yourself as a worthy candidate if you are going up in your career from, you know, job to job, and you're may still be, have that lack of confidence that you mm. can get up a more senior role. I'll give you some examples. Sometimes I'm working, especially with women <laughs> and I say, okay, what's your 10 year goal? Yeah. And they come to me and say, oh, my 10 year goal is to be a chief operating officer. And I go, why 10 years? Right. Why not? Why does it have to take that long? Like, I mean, look at, I look at your experience, you know, yeah. compared to my male clients, right? Mm -hmm. You can be applying for COO jobs right now. Mm -hmm. Do you realize that? And I think people just don't understand that you can be hired for potential and you can. Of course. Well, and I don't even think it's necessarily potential. It might not show up by virtue of the title of the mm -hmm. role that you're in. But you have probably demonstrated your abilities in other roles. That's why I keep talking about competencies, because see, I, I say that education doesn't make you smart and being smart doesn't make you competent, right? So plenty of people who have big titles, big jobs, make lots of money who are not that good at what they do, or at least they're not good at leading others, which is, as I said, typically what the expectation is when the, the higher up you go in an organization your leadership potential. And yes, you, unless you were an individual contributor, it's your leadership that sets you apart, right? Mm -hmm. So I think the candidate needs to reshape their thinking around it. You also have to understand this is not, I've not worked anywhere that's been a perfect meritocracy. Relationships matter, right? And men are good at this. I will give them credit. They're going to talk to their buddy and say, hey, you know, I want to check out that job. Will you put in a good word? you know, the hiring manager put in a good word for me. And I think women are much more, well, it says that I need this and this and this and this. 
I don't have those things yet, so I'm not going to apply. Men are like, I got 50% of it. I'm good here. I'm, I'm going after it. And, but the, the relationships that you develop and cultivate, and I'm not suggesting that these are nefarious or, or scandalous kinds of relate. I'm just saying you need people who can vouch for you. You need friends and sponsors and, and mentors who can say something good about you when you're not in the room. And sometimes you have to tell them that you need them to say those things on your behalf. Mm -hmm. So don't be shy. This, you know, I know in a lot of cultures, it's self-promotion is taboo, but there are ways that it's not considered to be obnoxious or showy. You just have to tell people, look, I'm really interested in this role. What do you think? You know, do you know anybody who might be able to help me get considered? That's what you're going for. And once you're considered, once you're a, a candidate, you know, you will have practiced, you will have rehearsed your comments, you will have built that narrative and you'll go in confident and kill it. That's how you do it. But just to sit back and wait and hope that your resume gets picked, it's not that straightforward. It just isn't. Yeah, absolutely. How many times do we have to say that? <laughs> you know, that was my son calling me. Yeah, he's 26 and he's, you know, he's in the entertainment world and I have to remind him of the same thing. He's working for some and worked for some great companies, but I still have to remind him, you got to learn how to play the game. It isn't just about showing up for work every day and doing a great job. It's building relationships with people. It's going out of your way sometimes and doing that extra thing, right? It's yeah. having relationships outside of the company, being a part of professional associations. So you build a reputation that way right? These are things that people don't seem to understand. If you want to move up, then you have to be, you know, sort of a citizen of your community, not just at work. So it doesn't have to be hard. You have to want to enjoy it or stay in what you're doing. If you're comfortable in your little space, then stay there. But if you have aspirations for more, your world needs to expand. Yeah, I like that. And I like the fact that today, because of technology, there are so many different ways that you can connect. You of know, there course. could be a way that suits your personality and, you know, the, the, how you feel most comfortable. It doesn't have to be face to face. You can do, you can write, you can do a video. You sure you can. can. You know, there's so many different ways. So, yeah. For all those introverts, right? Who <laughs> <laughs> are just cringing at what I just described. No, there, a lot of this stuff that I'm talking about is virtual. You know, you reach out to people just to, and I watched my son do this. It's like, yes, he's been watching me. You reach <laughs> out to folks, not when you're looking for a job, when you just want to learn more. He reached out to some someone who had a similar title as he has at Netflix. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, perfect. He said, she, she, I just wanted her to know what I do and where I work and, yeah. you know, compare. And she was fine with that. Well, don't you know that she might think of him when there's an, an opening for someone at his level? Oh, lovely. That's how that works. Exactly, Jenny. Oh, it was so lovely to talk to you. Is yeah. there anything else that you would like to share with the listeners? You know, final words, words of wisdom, where to find you? Yeah, just, I guess, a word of wisdom. You know, I'm big on passion and people doing what they love. I know it sounds trite, especially these days, but check yourself from time to time. You know, every two or three years, take an inventory of where you are and is your work filling you? Because there's nothing worse. There's no slower death than you just, you know, grinding it out every day. You didn't come here to suffer. So find work that holds meaning for you, that's fun in some way. 
that's really important. And I think there's room for that, even in these really curious times that we find ourselves in. So please do that. You can find me at JennyClark.com, G-I-N-N-Y-C-L-A-R-K-E.com. And that's where my podcast, my speaking, all the stuff that I love to talk about and do is is all there. So thank you. Oh, thank you so much, Ginny, for your time. I really appreciate you being here with us. Enjoyed it. We have loved making this episode for you, and I hope that you enjoyed listening to it. Thank you for your support this year, especially if you are a newsletter subscriber and a regular listener to this podcast. If you have not yet subscribed to my newsletter for the job hunters and career enthusiasts, please go to my website, renatabernardi.com, or follow the link available in the episode show notes. And if you need extra support during the festive season, you can find on my website an online course called Reset Your Career and also a talent assessment called Find My Talents. They are always available and ready for you when you're ready for them. Ciao for now and I'll see you next time.